Welcome, everyone, to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And in case you missed it, we recorded this episode live on Twitch on Brian's Twitch channel. So if you want to see our lovely faces while we're also doing this podcast, you can certainly do that. And, I mean, we have to throw this up on, like, YouTube and stuff, and hopefully that will kickstart some sort of YouTube channel for us, I would hope. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've talked a lot about doing more forms of media. Certainly YouTube's on the table. We talk a lot about Twitch plans. And obviously, neither of us are the biggest streamers in the world. We both have, would you say, complicated relationships with streaming, where like we like it <laughs> a little bit from time to time, but not like the daily grind streamers. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So we talk a lot about other ways we can do shows and get stuff out to people. This is definitely one of them. And I'm pretty excited to have our first shot at doing a live show. I am disappointed everyone is going to get to see just how incompetent we are. But I guess we've done live stuff before. We did all those SCG casts and our Yeah, come on, man. We, we very crushed brightly. it. We crushed it. I'll let, I'll let the listeners be the judge of that. I'm, I'm just trying to boost you up, man. We crushed it. So okay. I just got back from Magic Fest Las Vegas. And it was a good show. Had a lot of fun. Had a lot of people coming up to me asking what's next. I don't know if this whole live show thing is going to be the future or whatever. The BNR announcement kind of threw everything for a loop and it was like, we have to get this out there as soon as possible. Can't really wait two days for it to get edited and posted and everything. So we want to go ahead and do this. And then, yeah, YouTube was definitely another thing that I thought about and we we just have to start doing it, you know, and basically like all I want to do is make more content and, see what sticks, see what people actually enjoy, see what is actually helping people, and then just go from there. Yeah, obviously, I love the immediacy of this format because, and we talk about a, a lot, we generally record Wednesday nights, and our podcast gets released late Thursday, early Friday, basically. And sometimes I'm like, this podcast is too late, and it's out of date right now, because something will happen on Thursday that just completely throws the entire podcast for a loop and even invalidates what we talked about up to that point. And with, with standard, especially standard, especially. Yeah. So the more immediacy we can build into things, I'm not saying we'll do every episode like this going forward, but I think in these situations where something's especially timely, it, it's a cool thing to be able to do for people. Yeah. We have a lot of tools at our disposal and we should definitely do more work using them. So this is us trying to do that, but mm-hmm. we are here to talk about the BNR announcement. I'm not sure exactly how long this is going to go. We didn't really plan on anything. But I will go ahead and read the announcement for those of you who may be living under a rock. In standard, Rampaging Ferocidon is unbanned. In modern, Hogak Arisen Necropolis is banned. Faithless Looting is banned. Stoneforge Mystic is unbanned. And then the stuff that we will not talk about all that much, I would assume, is in Vintage, where Karn the Great Creator, Mystic Forge, Mental Misstep, and Golgari Grave Troll are all restricted, and Fast Bond is unrestricted. And this will go into effect August 30th, so four days from now. Quick turnaround time. Not super interested in the vintage stuff, as you said. Not because I don't like vintage, but I just don't think people are here for it. Yeah, agreed. It seems like the bulk of this is going to be modern discussion. Although I do think the standard unbanned is actually very, very interesting in terms of its effect on the format. It's just kind of a dead format with not a lot of play to it. But if you've got like a small standard tournament coming up, I think we can talk about that a bit and unpack it. Yeah, I mean, there's the fandom stuff, right? Like that mm-hmm. that kind of matters. And 
I mean, we could also just talk about the the rationale behind this, right? Where it's like, because nothing really matters and this card is rotating in like a month, what is the purpose of actually doing this? Well, we started talking about it. So why don't we start with the standard unban? You've already mentioned it. Rampaging Ferocidon in a world where some of the best decks are making large amounts of tokens and life gain seems to matter. I mean, I, I think this card is a real player in the format. And the clear places it goes first are obviously mono red, John Dinosaurs. But I don't think those decks getting a boost is the actual real story here. I think it's about the ripple effects and what decks get slightly worse because of the unbanning of Rampaging for us and, and what that opens up space for. And Clear losers, Scapeshift. I mean, this is a problematic card for Scapeshift. You kind of have to remove it to be able to set your stuff up. Even the incidental blunting of the life gain from Krasis and the lands, all that stuff matters quite a bit against the deck, which isn't really all that good at eliminating opposing permanence. Uh, and I think this is a strong card against vampires as well, quite frankly, just because they are capable of gaining quite a bit of life. Yeah, no, I agree with those for sure. I agree that... The, the format definitely has two best decks, and Ferocidon is good against both of them, which is probably a net positive to be legal in the format. Mono Red has been the best deck at various times. Now is certainly not one of those times, but like, do you really want to prop up Mono Red necessarily? Like, is, is that actually something you want to see compared to Vampires or Scapeshifts, which are relatively new decks coming in with M20? I'd be scared about juicing it, like really giving it some gas. But I, I think this just caught up Mono Red to right. those other decks. Yeah, I, I, I think agree. it was lagging behind at this point. And this just throws a wrench into everything and reconfigures like, like the whole balance arrangement, basically, and has a new puzzle to solve as we have these last few weeks. And I'll be honest, my interest in standard was waning. Really didn't care that much anymore. Uh, it felt kind of solved. Like you said, two best decks. I was fine with that conclusion and i thought kathis belonged in the discussion as well but now we get to do it all over again we get to ask all these questions and we're not super incentivized to figure it out so i'm not sure we'll devote a whole lot of time to it but i guess thanks for the opportunity like i'd rather have something interesting than just a solved format yeah i i agree with that it's it is still very weird and i honestly think that the reason it got unbanned is just so that if you look at past bannings through magic's history you will see that there is a clean ban list in this format. I don't know. I mean, that seems a little speculative, right? Like, who actually cares about that? I don't know. I mean, like, if you're doing, like, block party stuff or whatever, like, it, it just adds unnecessary wrinkles when you could just have a cleaner ban list, right? Speaking of unnecessary wrinkles, what about the fact that Rampaging Ferocidon remains banned in best of one on Magic Arena? Uh, I think that's fine. If it were the only card, like if Nexus were not banned in best of one and they wanted to unban it in best of three, but keep it banned in best of one, I don't think that would make a lot of sense. I would just say keep it banned. But since you already have a card on the ban list and Mono Red is very prevalent and very strong in best of one, it does make sense to not prop that deck up. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's unpack it a little bit and maybe just put a pick out there. Obviously, we've had about, what, 12 hours now to really think through this. In my eyes, I think the big winner from this is Esper. I liked Esper against the Jun Dinosaurs deck already, especially control variants. Like I played a match against Kenji in fandom. I was on Esper control. He was on Jund. It just felt like he couldn't do anything. Like basically all of his cards were invalidated against me. Uh, I think that matchup is particularly strong. The mono red matchup has always been close. Ferocidon 
is a strong card against you, but there's enough two mana removal spells where I think you're often just trading with Ferocidon plus mana. If you're doing yeah. something like Tyrant Scorn or Cast Down, you're really very happy with that exchange. And there's no like lag from Ferocidon. Nothing stays on the battlefield. No damage is actually done. If you just get to answer it at mana advantage, I think you pull ahead pretty quickly. So I think both variants of Esper are what I would be targeting if I was playing, say, the Moto PTQ this weekend. Oh, yeah. I mean, Moto PTQs are definitely a thing that is relevant. Mm-hmm. Are you not playing? I am not playing, no. Why? Because I, I, I don't care. I don't care, Jerry. Until I have a reason to care about playing on the Pro Tour again, I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to take my weekend, spend them with my wife, enjoy them. I can play Magic on my time during the week when it fits for me so I can learn what I need to learn to be able to produce content and to be able to inform people. I don't think my participation in a PTQ specifically means more than my participation in Magic generally, and it just fits better to have my weekends open. Just play a tournament and win it. Okay, I'll, I'll do like, that. What did you do in Vegas this weekend, Jerry? What were you up to while you were... I was handing out business cards and signing mm. playmats and schmoozing with fans and handing out t-shirts and playing fun games against Liam and talking about magic and stuff. Canadian I did a lot of work, all, the, man. all the important stuff, the things you just have to get done. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think that's part of the job, man. I think it's like way more important than actually participating in any of the GPs, but you were at home. So M- mostly agree with you. I was at home Uh, I will be not at home this weekend where Magic Online PTQ is on the table. I will be out probably enjoying the weather. I told you about those concerts. We talked about them on last week's podcast. That's true. Up this weekend. So yeah, don't want to miss those. All right. Fair enough, man. I just think that you should not write it off entirely because it does matter to some degree. Okay. That's a, that's a fair statement. We'll, We'll see how my interest in the PTQ MCQ, whatever we're calling them scene is affected by the completion of our OP announcement, which we certainly expect sometime soon when we get all the pieces of what GPs are going to be worth and all that kind of stuff. So, Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it just makes for good content too. Like imagine if we were both queued for a PT or mini PT or whatever it's called and like we get to work together and stuff. Like I think that's rad, right? Because no. we, we normally do those shows where it's like, oh, you're grilling me about my point of view and stuff. But like if we're both actually in it and both actually doing the work, And people get to kind of see like our testing live, you know, like that's awesome. Sure. Do you think though, I understand what you're saying, but the fact remains like I'm still doing that testing just without that specific end goal. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I'm still trying to figure out the truth of these matchups. I'm still trying to figure out the best deck on a week to week basis. I mean, especially like with the fandom series that I just spend a bunch of time participating in. That was as engaged with magic as I've been in a very long time in terms of like, I need to figure this out for my next immediate result. But I think that persists whether I have that specific event on the horizon or not. I don't think that comes in and out of my game. I, I agree that you're still engaging with Magic. But like if, you know, Canister 12 owes the tournament and then we both start testing Hogak and then, you know, we, we end up with like a refined list by Thursday or whatever and get to share it with people, that's cool versus like just one person doing the work. And then it's like, well, on this day, we want to figure out this. So this is how we approached it. And then the next day with this new information and this is what we learned, this is how we approached it, blah, blah, blah. Like it's way better than just like only syncing up once a week, you know? Yeah, I hear you. We'll, we'll get that under our belt at some point. I will qualify for a PT that we can play together sometime soon. Watch the first one I qualify for is going to be the one that you fall off. And oh, yeah. oh, yeah. For. You know, it's going to happen, right? Now, like, the, it's just an inevitability. The joke that I was going to make was that, you know, you're going to get like 
you know, fandom rich or whatever, and then qualify for some arena MC that I'm not going to be qualified for. You're going to get like the, the sponsors invite or whatever, but something like that. Yeah. I wasn't uh, about to say that I was going to fall off in paper, but we'll see. Well, time will tell as far as that goes. We know we're queued up for the next one. That's always good. We'll have to see where things go after that. We got one in the bank. One in the <laughs> bank. And if I if I could play in MCQs this weekend, I would have for whatever that's worth. Okay. I mean, you saw me in Seattle. I played in every single one, right? Yeah, we played all the MCQs though. Yeah. Okay. So moving on to modern, which is going to be the bulk of the show, and I think makes the most sense. Uh, what what has your day consisted of? Like, I know that you spent a lot of time like making this overlay for Twitch and everything, but my flight home, like basically three hours, was nonstop me making deck lists. So I've made a few deck lists. More specifically, though, I've been working on my article for SCG, and it does have some deck lists. It has my deck list that I would play if I had a tournament coming up this weekend for sure. But it, it's it's broader than that. I'm trying to basically come up with a framework for just how do we approach this format now? Because one of the things I mentioned is that wholesale changes like this, it's like we're dealing with a whole new format, right? And trying to understand it holistically is probably impossible. Like you just can't understand everything at once. So what I'm attempting to do is find some critical questions that I can work through and answering those questions is going to inform my early in the format deck choice. And I think early in the format deck choice, like what you're playing this weekend, if you're going to SCG Dallas is a very different question than what is ultimately going to be the best deck in this format. Right. So can we unpack that? Can we talk about that? Or does that detract from your article too much? I mean, I feel like it's pertinent information. Yeah, no, I I think we definitely can talk about it a hundred percent. So, so Hogak and looting are gone. Stoneforge mystic is unbanned. Where does that leave us? So the the first point, and I think this point is a very obvious one, and that maybe invalidates it to some extent, but the first thing I need to know, and we talked about this a lot over the last few weeks on the cast, how good is Urza? Because the numbers for Urza are really not that far off from the numbers for Horak, as things stood before. And now it's quite possible you gave Urza just a lethal, lethal weapon. When you think about the way Urza is trying to play a multifaceted game plan, it's really a combo control and aggro deck all in one. And it plays all those roles very, very well, which is one of the reasons I'm so high on it just as a broad archetype. But Stoneforge Mystic slots into all of those roles fantastically. It's a one card answer to certain fair strategies. It helps you find your combo setups. It hops on board with that aggro plan where you're just trying to get a quick clock between Batterskull and Urza. And then maybe there's some more tricky things you can do with sideboard pieces. Maybe there's swords that matter a bunch. I'm not too sure on swords right now. I'm, I'm kind of medium on them. I'm including them, but I'm pretty ready to cut them as it stands. But I think the addition of Stoneforge Mystic is a really big get for that deck. And that deck might have already secretly been the best deck prior to the Hogak ban. Also, how surprised were you, Jerry? Did you think Stoneforge Mystic was coming off the ban list with this no, announcement? I did what not. About, what about Faithless Looting? Yeah, Looting has been on my list of cards that I thought were going to get the axe at some point. I didn't really think it would be now, but I guess after you go through the whole thing of trying to nerf Hogak by banning Bridge from Below, and you're like, okay, crap, that didn't work. At that point, you can't, I think Ian even said this in the article, you can't take like a half measure or a quarter measure or whatever. And they just took a sledgehammer to it, right? Like they just completely obliterated the archetype and 
kind of in doing so, they they changed the face of modern a lot too. So I, I don't necessarily disagree with them getting rid of looting now, but it's one of those things where it's like, well, you could have waited to see how things shook out, you know, but I think overall for long-term health of the format, this is net positive. And this is coming from someone who's like a faithless looting main, right? Right. I, I also agree long-term it's correct. I think maybe the biggest thing I want to understand in the aftermath of this announcement is what is the broader public's reaction to the banning of faithless looting? Because you just KO'd a lot of decks and a lot of investments and cards that people have bought over time. And that was always my hesitation with the banning of faithless looting. I felt like it really took a sledgehammer to the format and invalidated a lot of purchases. And I think a lot of the appeal of modern is you can buy your deck and you can have it for a really long time. All of my decisions were basically made in contemplation of that fact. Like when I was giving hypothetical bans and hypothetical moves you could make, I was trying to find a way to keep people feeling good about their purchases, feeling like they didn't have to worry about the rug being pulled out from under them and still addressing what is a problematic card in the format. Like Faithless Looting is a problematic card. I think the world adapted around it. And I don't think like Modern was bad because Faithless Looting was present in the format. I just don't think it could ever be its optimal form while that card is present. And now having taken the sledgehammer to it, I want to see what the reaction is. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally on board with that too. So the, the thing is, is like with, with the looting ban, I think there are a lot of cases of overlap. Like, yes, your Phoenix deck got banned, but you still have, you know, the fetch lands, the duels, maybe thing in the ice. And there are things that you can port those cards over to. And the same case or the same thing is even true in the case of Dredge where Dredge is not dead, right? Like, th there are a lot of different, worse graveyard enabler cards that you can play in lieu of Faithless Looting, and while the deck might be weaker, it's possible that it has a good showing right out of the gate because a lot of the graveyard decks have been weakened and people are going to remove their graveyard hate as, as a result, right? Right. Yeah, this was another thing I thought was pretty critical to unpack in the aftermath of these moves, is... Can Faithless Looting be replaced in these decks? Can you find substitutes? And I think it's going to be very challenging for a deck like Mono Red Phoenix. Uh, is it Phoenix? I, I think that's going to be really hard. But Dredge? I think Dredge is going to be just fine. I think they will find a way to adapt. And if Graveyard Hate dips too low, Dredge will still punish you. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I mean, Insolent Neonate, Tormenting Voice. Uh, there were some versions that played Simeon Spirit Guide at some point, which could enable the two mana cards mm -hmm. on turn one and like, get your thing going. Uh, there's also like Burning Inquiry. And granted, all of these cards are much worse than Faithless Looting, yeah. but they're, they're not that much worse. And if the rest of the format comes like more in line with the same power level, I think Dredge is right there with it. So... You don't have this absurd card propping you up anymore to the point where people have to play an obscene amount of graveyard hate cards. But if everything's fair, then I think that's fine. Yeah, if you're inquiring, maybe you're smushing back the Phoenix and Hollow One decks again, which is something that happened a while ago. I don't know, though. It all feels a little quaint to me. Like, I, th I think you change the axis of power for modern. But the argument that this just moves to a fair format where it's like onboard creature battles, why? why? Why is that suddenly going to happen now? I think, if anything, saying that Stoneforge Mystic encourages that type of magic is a complete, complete red herring. I think it does the opposite. Like if I know Stoneforge Mystic can inherently shut down 
my small ball aggro plans and like my one for one in you with Jund. And it requires very specific answers. And eventually the Stoneforge Mystics will get you. Why am I not incentivized to just ignore all of that? Like, I think possibly the biggest long-term winner after these bands are bands and unbands is stack-based combo. That's what really appeals to me right now. And it seems like the tools to fight that really aren't super present. And it's the type of thing we haven't had to account for for a very long time. So I think people have just moved away from the cards that are historically good against those kind of setups. Yeah, I mostly agree with you. But at the same time, if Stoneforge is strong enough that it is encouraging people to play on the board, like they said in the article, it's possible that you're still better off playing something along those lines than just a stack-based combo deck. And I think trying to compare like Stoneforge decks of old to, you know, how they would look in modern now, like there's, there's a lot of stuff that's different, man. Like force of negation. Force of negation is a big deal. Yeah. Like that, that's just a card where it's like, not only is it good against the combo decks, it's good with Stoneforge mystic. And there are a lot of good blue cards that you want to play alongside Stoneforge Mystic. So I really don't think that that is where the format's going to end up. Obviously, I could be wrong, but I told Cedric that I would try and do an article with 60 Stoneforge Mystic deck lists, and I got to about 50, and I think what we're going to do is cut it down to 30 of like the best ones, okay. and there's there's like 15 of them that I'm legit excited about. You know? Yeah, talk to me about what those look like right now. Like, what kind of decks are I, you pointed towards? I got to dig into the vault, man. Hold on a second. Okay, sec. pull them up. That's fine. We can wait. I am interested. Like I said, a lot of my thought process has just been like, Urza seems a bit busted. Kind of just want to lean on that immediately. I think it presents enough prongs. I also love the sideboard plan out of Urza. Like, being able to be a legit Monastery Mentor deck after sideboard games and just ignoring Artifact Hate maybe not annoying it, but mostly shrugging it off if you have a good Monastery Mentor set up and you just have enough good cards where you can play blue-white control, Monastery Mentor, Stoneforge Mystic shenanigans. That's a really, really good place to be in. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't even necessarily look to play control. I, I think once you have Stoneforge already and you're expecting things like Stony Silence or Ancient Grudge or whatever, you I like Monastery Mentor, but because it lets you go on a beatdown plan, not necessarily a control plan. So maybe I mean more like tempo control like yeah, where you yeah. just have spell pierces and your stoneforge mystics and you control the battlefield that way yeah we're we're on the same page there so i made this list basically by going through goldfish like top to bottom and then at the bottom there were some like really weird decks uh that were like the one ofs and i'm still looking at those where it's like oh can we actually do anything with that but uh there's a lot of stuff basically that you can do with Collected Company, Aether Vial, and various blue decks, but you want me to just list like 45 things? <laughs> Maybe you don't have to give all 45, but give us give us a sampling, a little spattering. All right. So yeah, all Collected Company decks, all Aether Vial decks. This is like Humans, Eldrazi, any sort of like Chalice, Simeon Spirit Guide, Thalia thing. I think Stoneforge mm. Mystic slots into those decks really nice and helps yep. them out a lot, gives them some staying power, which they desperately need. Going into Vegas, I was working on Four Color Snow Copycat, which I think also utilizes Stoneforge pretty well, as long as you're playing like the Noble Hierarch version and a few more creatures. You could do things like put it in Abzan, Humans, Urza, Blue White Control, either main or sideboard. I think main is sort of cobblade ish where you probably play like spell queller maybe geist of saint traff stuff like that spirits 
kind of interested in it in Death Shadow. How do you feel about it in Amulet? Is that is that just stupid? It seems kind of yeah. wild. It's certainly outside of your typical plan, but that's the thing about Stoneforge Mystic, right? Is that it like single card shuts down certain strategies against you. And if you're asking decks like, can you account for this in post-board games? Oftentimes the answer to that question is going to be no. It puts a lot of pressure on your opponent as soon as you include it in your 75. Yeah, it's it's so cheap too. You know, it's if right. your opponent is trying to protect themselves against Primeval Titan, you know, they know that they have a, a decent amount of time before they actually have to start interacting with you. And then you just play like this two mana card that's like, oh crap, like I also have to deal with this. Yeah. So it, it shifts things. And then I was looking at the various hate bear decks, but it's kind of weird because Stoneforge doesn't work that well with Leonin Arbiter, but I think that's fine. Yeah. I mean, there's an argument whether you have to keep playing Leonin Arbiter. Hopefully at some point that card can be replaced. I, I don't think you want to lean on that card super hard in most instances. It's just so variable. Like if you've ever top decked a Leonin Arbiter in the late game, you know the pain of having that card in your deck. Yeah, of course. But I mean, if you're playing some hate bear deck and you get into the late game, your top decks are mostly garbage anyway, which is sort of where Stoneforge Mystic helps you. And Leonin Arbiter is kind of irreplaceable with the card pool that we have now, just because it's one of the few things that actually provides disruption. And it's, it's good. It's good at what it does. And, making your ghost quarters into actual strip mines and path into no downside and stuff like that. I do think it is really good, but do enjoy a good strip mine. Yeah. And I think most people do. I know autumn does. Good strategy. This is where it gets kind of weird. Mardu, I think can potentially be rebuilt Mardu or white black, something along those lines. Uh, just like inquisition Stoneforge mystic is pretty solid, has a pedigree. Uh, the Mardu list I was building looks fine. Uh, one thing I will note is that building a lot of these decks, it felt like you could still utilize a lot of the flashback cards like Lingering Souls and Smiting Helix, but not with Faithless Looting. You would have to play like Season Pyromancer or Liliana the Veil instead, which I think is completely reasonable, and just play more of a, a mid-rangey, grindy game instead of this really, you know, slim, cheap, velocity card advantage game with like Bedlam Reveler. So. Okay think all that stuff is doable uh aaron barich was talking about it in in infect and i think that's fine but it's also weird because a lot of the matchups where you would normally board in like kitchen finks or tarmogoy for geist are ones that have a lot of spot removal for your small creatures and stoneforge mystic is just like an acre claw mirror effectively so i don't really like it there uh there's the various blink decks that are kind of popping up now all the devoted druid shells Maybe in Cheerios as a backup plan. Unearth is a card that works really well in the Mardu shell and in that sort of shell. Well, so here's a question I have to ask. Like, if all of these are viable, if you are correct, and this makes sense in all of these decks, this card is too good, right? Like, it shouldn't be here if you're able to play this successfully in every single one of these archetypes. Viable-ish. Viable adjacent, right? Like, all the decks I named are not really tier one decks. So right. like white has been the worst color in modern for quite some time. And I don't think Agreed. it's necessarily correct to prop it up with just one card, but in the vein of like young pyromancer, snapcaster, tarmogoyf, whatever, I think this card fits in fairly well. Well, we'll have to see how that plays out. I, I think that my ideal use for Stoneforge mystic is that it enables a different style of magic that has been missing from the modern format. And to me, what feels like has been missing is just like 
on battlefield, here are my creatures. Can you beat this particular set of power and toughness? It just doesn't matter. Like the size of battlefields doesn't matter because it either gets outscaled so quickly with something like Hogak as it has been for the past months, or you're just ignoring that completely. You're on the stack or you're Tron and you have Karn and these cards don't matter all that much. And I, I think that's actually another really interesting piece of the puzzle. So a long time ago, I posited that there were four pillars to modern. And I, I think this was a good assessment. Basically, it was Aether Vile, Faithless Looting, Ancient Stirrings, Mox Opal. And I think that mostly checked out. If your deck was going to be a top-tier deck in modern, it had to be based around those four cards. But over the course of Hogak Summer, and really this is as much a consequence of the printing of Modern Horizons as Hogak, but I don't think Ancient Stirrings has held up its part of the bargain. It has not been of the same quality as the other three pillars in that category. And a huge portion of that is that it just received absolutely nothing from Modern Horizons. Like for the most part, Ancient Stirrings decks were the ones left out and not really getting any upgrades. And when I think about decks like Tron, Amulet, Hardened Scales, really no meaningful cards. And quite frankly, a bunch of cards that are good against you. Things like Collector, Oof, Force of Vigor, all reasonable options. So Stoneforge Mystic, if it becomes a large portion of the format, has the potential to prop back up that pillar, to make Ancient Stirrings relevant again. Because I think if your opponent is messing around with Stoneforge shenanigans, one of the best things you could just be doing is making Karn and invalidating that. But to your point, they've picked up a tool enforce negation. And I think a big question, another one of the questions I really want to answer going into the next few weeks as we start to feel out the nascent stages of this format is can Ancient Stirrings be a relevant card again? Because right now it actually feels like it's not good enough for modern, which is a crazy thing to be saying. Well, Stirrings was doing well until... I, I don't know exactly when, but... It's Horizons. I think it's right up to the Horizons printing where things really went wrong for the archetypes. You could argue that it was Phoenix and then maybe even a little bit before that, but basically the looting decks took over, right? I mean, there there was a ton of Dredge, a ton of Phoenix, things like Hollow One kept popping up, and the looting decks typically had good matchups against the Stirrings decks. So now that looting is gone, I fully expect Stirrings to be back in full force, and Tron is definitely one of those decks. I, someone in the chat did point out finals of the MC was a stirrings mirror. Yeah, that's true. I, I still don't think I'm wrong about this point though. I think overall metagame share overall win rate still points to ancient stirrings being down despite that one instance. Right. I mean, it, it, if you want to point out top eights, like how many finals were faithless looting mirrors, right? Like, right. Would just completely invalidate that point. Lots and lots of them. So yeah, I, I think stirrings is good. Uh, I think Tron is probably the thing I'm scared of the most because you talked about how Stoneforge might shift things into like stack-based combo. And I, I think it might actually just shift towards Tron because like Tron, especially if people are playing things like Bant Company and just playing three drops, they're, they're just so weak to like Ugin and O-Stone and things like that and generally don't have a great plan against it. And even Stoneforge Mystic in general, like any two drop that isn't disruptive is typically not very good against Tron. Yeah, for sure. I also like the fact that Tron plays well against what I am presently perceiving as the best deck, Urza. Like, you can beat Infinite Life, you can beat Infinite Thopters, you have options as the Tron deck, which feels really strong right now. Interesting to see if it has to do a bit of a rebuild. Like, obviously, Tron recently has shifted towards four Wormcoil Engine main. If there's more white decks in the format, you would expect an uptick in Path to Exile, which I think is another part of like unpacking all of this is yeah. color color pie preference, white being more of a thing, what removal is more popular? And the obvious answer, 
Path to Exile. I think that's a card whose stock has risen tremendously. And I want to think about ways to exploit that. So you're talking about getting a couple more basics into your deck, ways to really leverage mana advantage. I think all that stuff is going to matter going forward. And it actually informed my sword choices quite a bit. As I mentioned, I'm not sold on the idea of sword as being a necessary part of the Stoneforge Mystic package, but I do think sort of Light and Shadow actually merits consideration where I think historically that's been one of the weaker swords. Well, that's that's the sideboard sword, right? That's basically where it's sure, always that's where lived. I have mine. Yep. And in in building most of my decks, it like the the decks would fall under three categories. One was in Bring the Light Scapeshift, for example. I had two stone forges in one batter skull with the other stone forges in the sideboard and uh, a sword. I, I haven't decided which one, but then you have mm-hmm. like Ice Fang Quaddles and stuff to to actually help carry the swords and everything. Do you and think then, default is fire and ice? Sorry to interrupt you, but I, I yeah. think that's like the starting point, right? Get into it. Get into okay. it. Okay. The, other, the other two camps, I think, are split between fire, ice, and feast and famine. Feast and famine is, to me, a deck that can make good use out of actually untapping your four or five lands. And that says things like, you know, flashback, lingering souls, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Chandra Torture Defiance, like these big planeswalkers. Right. And then. Sword of Fire and Ice strikes me as the card that is going to be better in, you know, the the Leonin Arbiter style decks, like the Taxes style decks or Eldrazi. Just anything where, like, getting a little chip damage, some reach, some card advantage is way more important than actually untapping your lands, disrupting your opponent a little bit. Because in order to get a good enough advantage from Feast and Famine, you need impactful things to do, and you basically need to be sort of flush with cards already. So if you're deck is going to run out of gas and you're slightly aggressive, I think you want Fire and Ice. If your deck is mid-rangey and grindy, I think you want Feast and Famine. And then, obviously, you can make a consideration for Light and Shadow in the sideboard or switching things up depending on what the metagame actually looks like. Uh, n- neither of those swords have pro-white, if that matters, but uh, most of the time, people are going to be getting Batter Skull first, so that doesn't necessarily matter as much as pro-black, but there, there will likely be a lot more white decks and a lot more Path to Exiles. That is my expectation. What's your sort of choice in Urza, by the way? Because that's the one I've struggled with. And I've at all points today, I've cycled through three different swords in my main deck. So Ooh, I have I have a great I have a great idea. Don't my, say sword of the meek. Yeah, my sword of choice is sword of the meek. You got uh, it. I, that one's obviously there you got for it. sure. No, I would just yeah, I would play Banner Skull and Sword of the Meek, and that's it. Okay. And then you could sideboard a sword if you want, but aside from random Thopters from Thopter Foundry, you don't have a lot of ways to actually utilize the Stoneforge Mystic equipment if Stoneforge dies, right? Like, if, if you end up playing Urza and making a Golem, it's like, if you have a bunch of mana at that point, you could probably be doing better things than equipping a Sword of Fire and Ice or whatever. I, I With two good equipment targets and the fact that you would want to play a bunch of Thopter Foundries and a bunch of Stoneforge Mystics just to get your one or two Sword of the Meeks, I don't think you're ever going to, like, run out of equipment to get, and I don't think you're going to use Sword very much, so I just think you play Sword of the Meek, Batter Skull, maybe sideboard another one. That's it. I'm going to start with one of my lists. I have been very forthright about the fact that it wouldn't surprise me to have none, Uh, but it's a card that I want to play, and it should become obvious pretty quickly whether I want to keep it around for extended duty or if it's just something that is really never going to come up. It is duty. You are correct. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for the vote of confidence there. Yeah, so Urza has some weird things going on where some of its win percentage was probably pop propped up by Hogak. I'm not sure exactly how much. And, you know, you could also make the argument for, well, maybe it was good against the decks that were good against Hogak, which 
doesn't really hold a lot of weight because like Burn and Tron were the two decks that popped up and those don't seem particularly good against Urza. But with Stoneforge Mystic and with Batter Skull, I would imagine that there is going to be an uptick in artifact hate also things like Colagon's command which some people were talking about in chat already uh so that could potentially affect things too and then sort of circling back to the urza versus tron thing where oh tron can beat infinite life infinite thopters i you have to play something else you have to play like a spine of aisha or whatever or a time sieve i think spine is the best one where once you go infinite you actually have a thing that you can Urza into that just locks it up. Do you think you can play that main deck, or is it something you can just bring in when you're in these spots? I really think you should just sideboard it, or I think you should main deck it, sorry. Interesting. Okay, so we've unpacked a lot of the Stoneforge stuff, I think. Obviously, there's going to be a lot more as time goes on, and we see what gets popular. We talked about Faithless Looting and what can maybe continue to exist despite its absence is there anything to say about Vengevine? Do you have any words? Do you want to give Vengevine its last rights or maybe still a chance? Possibly. I mean, these Vengevine decks were very, very good, but it does seem like we're asking a little bit much of them to continue to exist in this world, right? Well, the the PT25A1s had Bridge from Below. Whether or not that was actually the best version of the deck kind of remains to be seen. And... Other than that, what did it really get from Horizons or War or whatever that would make it better than the decks were around that time? Carrion Feeder. That counts. That plays. That's probably the big one. Yeah. So, I mean, other than, you know, chopping Insolent Neonate for that, like you're still losing Looting and Hogak. So then you end up, not really having a reason to play red. I guess you could play Saltai for Crab, but is bringing back like a Vengevine or two good enough? And I don't really think it is. Just put some Stoneforges in there. It'll be fine. Yeah, that's sure. A solution I mean, to everything. That's fine. Uh, I I forget what deck I was looking at where it was like Stoneforge plus I was kind of milling myself. And it's like, well, if you mill your batter skull, you just feel dumb, you know? <laughs> right. That's a little iffy. So... Maybe not the best idea, but definitely a possibility. Yeah, we'll have to see if Fenjvon can get inroads back into the format. My guess is we're finally free of that leafy menace, uh, at least until the next broken graveyard card gets printed. Yeah, if anything, I would expect something closer to true zombies to actually be reasonable because of Carrion Feeder and Undead Augur and stuff like that. But uh, even then, it's just not very strong. What do you think the aftermath is of Hogak? Do you think it changes anything about card design or just approaches to modern specific printings going forward? Do you think it has irrevocably harmed the legacy of modern horizons? I think that when MH2 previews start rolling around or it gets announced, the memes are going to start up and it's just going to be pretty annoying. But I really hope that this does not, lead wizards to believe that they shouldn't take shots and granted you can look at hogak like you know nothing about this is good right like why would you do this like delve is just dumb maybe just don't use that mechanic anymore whatever but there are a lot of cards in mh1 that i think do look kind of risky and you know maybe force of negation is one of them and maybe force of negation is going to be kind of a scourge going forward with stone force mystic i don't know but i, I think with 
the exception of this one mistake that was fairly egregious, MH1 was good. And I like having these cards in the format. I like having them available to play with. I like that it encouraged me to spend time on modern doing something new, something different. And I hope that that actually just continues. Yeah, I think Modern Horizons has been a net positive for my engagement with the format Modern. And if that's its goal, it has done that even despite the Hogak failings, which were clear and undeniable. But I don't see how you push things if you don't take any shots. And sometimes your shots are going to go bad. I guess maybe I would look for a quicker ban trigger next time. I would say like yeah, when the bridge from fair. below band happened, like maybe we should have just been like, okay, this is a free eight, eight. And there's really not circumstances under which this can ever be reasonable. And I think just like free spells in general really have to be very, very carefully considered. It's the easiest way to get a card into the modern format, right? Like just make it free. Obviously Always. then it matters Always. because modern is very much based upon efficiency and cheating on mana. And the shortcut is, just cut the mana cost away, make it absolutely free. But you see it's possible to have interesting designs, meaningful designs with a little bit more work at a high mana cost. You think about a card like Urza, which has been impactful. Granted, it took a little bit of word salad to get there, but still, I think the card's interesting. And I would say the same thing about Ranger Captain. Like Ranger Captain has been an interesting card for the most part. Again, a bit of word salad, but like for a three mana creature, it's cool. Season Pyromancer, maybe we'll get its time now. Who knows? But all those cards did a good job of costing mana and still potentially impacting modern. And I think I would like to see more of a focus on those type of designs next time we do a modern horizon set. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And obviously the free spell is always the thing that's busted. It's always the thing that gets banned. It should be no surprise. What, what can you do? Like hopefully just mistake learns, but I really do not want to see them curb the power level for the next one. It can't work. It can't, I mean, if you just curb the power level too much, then there's nothing to be done in Modern Horizons. And, you know, I think the argument that you're kind of solving these formats is a fair one. Like, I've often said I I feel strongly about Sam Black's point about the Commander format, that, like, designing cards specifically for Commander solves a lot of the puzzle and takes away a lot of the fun of deck building and the questions you're supposed to be answering. And to the same point, I think there's some of that going on with Modern Horizons. Like these are cards slated to be good enough for Modern. So you don't have to prove that pedigree. It's just like, okay, this card is good. And it does answer the puzzle a little bit. So I think being creative with the type of designs you're using is really the way to go. Something like Aria of Flame is a really good example of a card that's very, very interesting, puts forth a little bit of a puzzle, makes you reconsider some preconceived notions but you got to have home runs or you're not going to sell the set. And I understand why you just want to push things and have the crazy two mana planeswalkers. Let's check in with that card, actually. Ren and Six, a card that I think people are fearing a little bit in the aftermath of Hogak. Do you see big things for that card in the future? Or is Stoneforge Mystic enough to blunt its impact on the format? Well, Stoneforge is a one-two, you see, so it's not going to matter. It's kind of true. I mean, <laughs> it's, I, I just think it's a little bit outclassed here. Uh, at least in terms of support cards, I think that the Jun decks still aren't lining up all that well with the format as a whole, but maybe when things settle down, we can revisit that point and we'll find some space for Ren and Six. No, I, I think Ren and Six is going to be good. And if there are creature-based decks that want to play Stoneforge Mystic or get propped up in power level because of Stoneforge Mystic, 
then there are just going to be more smaller creatures in the format, and that's going to be good for something like Jund and something like Renin Six. So it's possible now that you're not effectively dying on turn two that you're actually going to see how bad Renin Six possibly is for the format. Where you know, what if yeah, you unbanned Stoneforge Mystic, and there are all these cool possible noble hierarch decks and like mausoleum wanderer decks thalia decks and they just don't exist because of red and six that that's a feel bad right there sure yeah to some extent i will push back against the conclusion that we're going to these creature based decks i want to see it before i believe it of course i am not super incentivized to give up the high powered offense that modern has previously provided what did you think about neoform going untouched you think that's a mistake that's uh, Gristle Brand and things like it are definitely on my list for things that will probably get banned at some point. I don't know. Like, I, I haven't played against it too much. I think I played four matches total against it on Magic Online, and every single one of them was just like a very frustrating experience and not anything that I really want a part of modern, you know? Uh, I, I'm curious how other people feel because that deck hasn't seen a ton of play. And like, maybe if it was seeing a ton of play, then there would be a bunch of outrage and presumably the win rates are still very low, right? Otherwise they would probably take action or the deck would catch on more. But I mean, if it ever becomes like five or 10% of the field and it just sucks, it's miserable playing modern against that deck, then maybe something will happen. But in, in the meantime, I guess we just agree to not do that or hope that it's bad enough that, you know, people just don't want to, I don't know. A friendly agreement that we won't be casting Allosaurus Rider. I could sign up for that. That sounds fine. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not doing it, but... I, I think the question of whether to ban it was interesting. It is an annoying deck. It is out of bounds for what should be possible in modern, but it's probably not good enough. Although I will say, people who have devoted themselves to the archetype, who have put in reps, and my impression of the deck was like, okay, I'll goldfish this a few times. I'll understand whether this is good or not. And then I can let it go. I goldfished it a bunch. I lost to myself more than I beat my imaginary goldfish opponent. And I was like, okay, this deck is garbage. But people who put in time to really understand the deck were paid off at a fairly high level. And I'm seeing people post pretty consistent results who have devoted time to the archetype. I don't know if anyone else is going to put in that time. Like it's not a very enjoyable experience unless the only thing you care about is winning, which is what we're here for, right? Ultimately, like if it was the slam dunk best deck, I would probably sign up for it. Uh, I just think it requires a level of commitment that I'm not willing to give to it to get the kind of results you might want out of it. And we'll have to see if people who continue to put in that type of commitment, who try and leverage the deck, can find a way to push through. Uh, And then we'll have a problem on our hands. But there's a lot to be said about blue-white picking up in numbers. And obviously, Neoform is a small, small percentage of the metagame, so we don't have a lot of sample size uh, depth when it comes to the deck. But the small sample size I have seen is that it just can't be blue-white ever. A deck loaded with Path to Exile and Force of Negation is very problematic. There should only be more blue-white going forward. So I, I think that deck continues to trend down and maybe becomes a distant memory at some point. Yeah, I mean, more blue-white and the versions are just incidentally going to be stronger against that sort of deck too, where they're not going to try and kill you with five mana Teferi. They're going to kill you with this thing that kills you over seven turns for a very low amount of mana. And they're going to have probably more force of negations than they used to. Like I've seen a lot of lists already that just have four. Yeah, three or four seems to be coming the default standard. And I also would look to get away from Teferi at this point. It just seems kind of unnecessary. 
push back to the three mana walkers a little bit, maybe a couple Jace, but you have Stoneforge Mystic now, and it's going to change some things for the blue-white control decks, either in the pre-board games or the post-board games. Yeah, blue-white looks really good to me. Probably a little more slanted on the tempo-y side of things, not necessarily leaning on Wrath of Gods. Like, I, I think I would want to build them sort of like Cobblade, but... You know, obviously no Squadron Hawk because that card is pretty bad. But things like Spell Queller and Teferi Time Raveler, uh, those are pretty nice pickups. But like the Sweepers, unless you absolutely need them, I would love to be able to play a list without them. Could be at that point right now. We'll have to see. It's going to be interesting times over the next few weeks. I'm excited to see how things shake out. I'm reinvested in the modern format after having checked out for a few weeks of Hogak Summer. Uh, really excited to see what's coming down the pipeline and the Moto Weeklies, and of course, SCG Dallas coming up, which should be the first big test of this new modern format. Yeah. Is that is that next week, or when does this go into effect, like both on Magic Online and real life? SCG Dallas should be the first live tournament that uses it. it is, and then September 4th was the live date? Well, SCG Dallas is scheduled Oh, first. it's this weekend. Yeah, it's this weekend. But in my head, I have that as a non-Hogak format. Do you have the okay, so, BNR in front of you right now? Yeah, so effective date is August 30th. The arena effective date is September 4th. Gotcha. That's so what I was thinking. it will be this weekend. We'll get our first look at a hogak format. Yeah, no, apparently uh, it says it's live on Magic Online now. So That is what I've heard. People have been reporting in with their Stoneforge results already, so... Get who? to grinding. Get out there. I don't who I don't follow those people. I want to see results. I was hearing results coming through on the Twitterverse. You're following the wrong people. Oh, I blew it yeah. as I do. This is so sad. I'll get you hooked up with the right connections. Anything else we have to say about these uh, these bands before we move to a question? How are we going to take a question? We're we just going to have people spam us questions in the chat. Maybe we'll we can answer questions for a few minutes. I think. I think that's a yeah. That's thing to do. That's what I thought we were going to do is just kind of like hang out and chat, see if people liked this format and whether or not they would want to see it in the future. Although I guess we know from your Twitter poll that uh, people will just say yes. Like say they, yes. They, they want more anything. So yeah, yeah, that is yeah, any, any questions for those of you who were here the entire time and have a burning question that we did not discuss. Baker wants to know if Manriki Gusari is actually good in the mirror. All the times I have ever put that card in my deck ever in its history, going back to the first time Stoneforge Mystic was really played in blue white control, which was a deck. I think you popularized Jerry at like GP Providence in 2010 in legacy. Yeah, It was not good. Yeah. I had a Manriki Gusari. I have never destroyed a piece of equipment ever. Not one piece of equipment. And there's probably been like four or five tournaments where I've had the Manriki Gusari in my sideboard. So no garbage. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you just get so much more mileage out of something like Detention Sphere or even the the one H card, Nature's Chant, I think, Disenchant. Luke, like Luke wants some vintage commentary from us. Do you have like 10 seconds of vintage commentary in you? I, I did not see him ask for vintage commentary. He just said, he just commented on the fact that we're not doing it. And yeah, uh, you're right. We're not doing it. Okay. You're reading it that way. Okay. Ifra uh, wants to know about old school tech uh, kind of one of the the big snafus from this weekend yeah that was uh that was hard to see as an outside observer someone who uh obviously i think we've all looked up to for a long time explanation was not at all plausible and uh really disappointing stuff to see very tilting 
don't cheat at magic. What are you what are you doing with your life? Don't cheat at magic. Come on. Let's be serious. Why why would you ever in a million years just be better than that? Be a better person. Nah, your ego can't take it, man. What if you lost? Wouldn't that be awful? I lose so much at magic. It's fine. My life goes on. Look, I'm here doing this podcast with you. Despite all my losses, I people make fun of me sometimes for losing. It's fine. I, my life continues. It really doesn't matter all that much. Just I mean, I agree with you. There's other people who don't. Uh, Storm. What is your commentary on Storm? Twiddle Storm? Is that what we're talking about? Right sure. Now? Either. Either. I know you bought beta Twiddles and this announcement no, has got to be no, no, good no. for you. I bought alpha and beta Twiddles. Oh, okay. What happened my, was I bought the apology. betas and I was like, you know what? I think alpha is actually nicer because alpha just has like a very small amount of text and beta gets a little wordy with it. So I bought alpha ones. I can't imagine I'll ever actually play the deck. But again, stack-based combo makes sense to me right now. It's possible that the Twiddle version is just better, like the lack of reliance of creatures on the battlefield. If this does become a creature-centric format, I want to be as far away from that as possible, basically. So I could see Twiddle Storm having some advantage that way. But it's the type of thing where I really want the format to settle down a little bit before I'm really going all in on this idea that stack-based combo is the way to go. Yeah, so what what's your take on that deck effectively needing to just draw a lotus field right otherwise you can't do anything awkward it's awkward but like you play a bunch of filtering and card selection and you have the london mulligan and you make it work i mean some of the numbers coming back on it look pretty good it's obviously not very well represented i need to know more about the deck i'm not going to sit here and pretend like i have ever played a game with it i just bought the twiddles because i love old cards they're so nice you should play old school uh no i'm I'm good on old school right now okay so if you had a seven card hand with one cantrip and like you know two lands and a bunch of enablery things would you just auto mull that in twiddle storm like would you basically always go to six if you don't have a lotus field probably you're probably supposed to what if you had two cantrips what if you're six what if you're six uh let's say no what if your six had no cantrips and no Lotus Field? Then you, ha- you have to go to five. I mean, I, I just think like you're extremely reliant on that card and you better have a lot of looks at it or you're not going to do much as a deck. Okay. But you're still like this resource-based combo, right? Where it's like you need... A certain number uh, of cards in your hand. Yeah. It's the same flaws as, as Storm, for sure. Like it has the same weak points. It's just a different type of permanent is vulnerable in this instance and this is the deck when there's not a lot of hand disruption i guess you want to look at not a lot of hand disruption a bunch of creature kill you can be more inclined to play twiddle storm than actual storm okay yeah i'm just trying to get a baseline for this archetype that i've never seen played and have never played myself i'm right there with you i mean i all my thinking about it is very theoretical so at some point maybe i'll figure out exactly what's going on there Ooh, do we think the upcoming historic format is a significant factor in the decision to unban Ferocidon? I guess it would make sense to have historic sort of mirror that be in our list, right? Yeah, you would think so. I just don't think that format matters until you attach something to it. I don't know that they're doing anything in contemplation of the historic format. I think it's just a place for cards to go rot and die until things change. So 
I don't think it was a significant factor, but maybe it's a nice little bonus. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine if they wanted to keep Ferocidon banned in Historic, they would not then unban it in Standard, right? So, Right. Here's someone saying Matt Nass played Teamer Twiddlestorm with Sylvan Scrime. Okay. I, I guess that makes it so you can turn three a little bit more often. And someone saying they've played Twiddlestorm a lot the past three weeks. Deck moles very well, very resilient to discard. Can definitely mole hard to a Lotus Field. I mean, that's often true of decks where all your cards do the same thing. And that was the case with Storm. We've had this conversation a million times. I can't do it again. The Storm versus Jun conversation where I felt Storm was favored. Everyone thought Jun was favored. I, I'm I think, backing off. This is this is me backing off. I think where you have a lot of cards that do the same thing, you're often pretty resilient to discard. That makes sense to me. We can drop it. Mapperf wants to know about Scapeshift in Modern. I think Scapeshift kind of falls under the category of like stack-based combo that Brian was talking about, except I think things like Scapeshift are much stronger than things like Ad Nauseam. Like... Primeval Titan was always one of the scariest cards for Stoneforge Mystic to face off against. I don't think that's going to change. And for something like Bring Delight Scapeshift, I think it's tougher because Force of Negation actually counters your relevant stuff. They can play a fish game pretty well against that sort of deck. I'm certainly more interested in playing something like Bring Delight Scapeshift, but I think just Green Red Velikit's likely stronger. I had some questions about uh, Phoenix and Mardu Pyromancer. I guess we could talk about those. Sure. Mardu, I like a little bit. I, I like the various cards that you can play in that sort of archetype. Basically, I'm a fan of Inquisition Stoneforge. I think that that's a viable way to take it. But the red cards for my list basically ended up being like Lightning Bolt, Dread Boar, Season Pyromancer, Smiting Helix, which is not a lot. And then you get some stuff in the sideboard, like if you want Blood Moon, Wear Tear, whatever. Uh, so it's possible that just white-black is better or white-black with a different color. But yeah, you can certainly still do Mardu things. I just don't think that people will be casting Bedlam Reveler outside of like Monored Prowess anytime soon. And then Phoenix just seems dead. I mean, I'm, I'm not about to play like Tormenting Voice in my deck, and I don't think that anyone else should necessarily be trying to do that. But I do think that there can probably be Arclight Phoenix decks, and I think that there can be Thing in the Ice decks. I just don't necessarily think, think that those will go together. Is there merit to a careful study reprint? Do you think that would be a net positive for the format? No. Why? Why would you do that? I mean, it's a very different card than Faithless Looting. Very, very different. It is, but... If, you, yeah, if I, your goal is trying to allow people to play with their cards and not invalidate whole swaths of their collection and... You know, people who are into Phoenix as an archetype. And I think Phoenix does have a lot of fans. I think it's an of course. interesting way of playing Magic. And a lot of people like playing that style of Magic. And I think a toned down version of it is something that the format could probably tolerate. And I think Careful Study is a lot closer to acceptable than Faithless Looting ever was. Yeah, but it's still not acceptable. Okay, maybe that's true. I, I certainly haven't done the game the gameplay with careful study in Faithless Looting's place. But it seems like having that buyback was a tremendous part of Faithless Looting's success. So, I mean, it was a big part. Like you, Those decks basically never ran out of stuff to do with their mana, which was very annoying and very frustrating. And obviously that was super powerful for things like Dredge. But when you're talking about the context of like Vengevine having to splash Hedron Crab and Faithless Looting, and now they have like more on-color stuff, but they lose out on the flashback, like... That's that's just 
dumb. I don't think it encourages like any form of good gameplay. If if you want to do graveyardy things, you can have more fair enablers than careful study. Okay. What about this question from Marbles Marcus? Stoneforge Mystic, back in modern, do you think Sword of Sinew and Steel has a shot at being a real card to beat on the Green Black X and the Stoneforge Mystic Mirrors? I haven't really thought about that sword that much. Is, but is that Red Black Kill an Artifact? It is. Or a Planeswalker. Yeah, or maybe both. I don't know. It's it's possible, but it's just so convoluted and weird that you would ever get to actually trigger this sword for you know meaningful impact, right? So yeah, you're like, oh, if, you know, if I connect with this, it's a mirror breaker. But like, realistically, is that going to happen? That means they have a piece of equipment on the battlefield already. Mm-hmm. If they just went and got Batter Skull, mm-hmm. and you're probably you know, way ahead. And, and don't have a creature on the battlefield other than it and are tapped out somehow and, you know, are not ready for your sword. It's just like there's too many ifs, right? Like, there's just no way. Mm, Darkest Mage says germ is black. No, that's what I'm saying is like you would have to Stoneforge for Batter Skull, then tap the Batter Skull to put or tap the Stoneforge to put in the Batter Skull on your turn to not have a white creature to just like chump block it for the turn. You'd also have to just be opening yourself up to getting hit by a sword either for five mana or them like stone forging for it and knowing that they have it. And then they would also just, you know, not have to like kill your stone forge, not have to kill your creature, not have to have force or inquisition you or whatever. It's just, it seems so hard for that sword to connect. Yeah. I think the format's going to become a lot about keeping swords from connecting. So it, it often feels like if it connects, you've already lost. Uh, we'll have to see how true that is as we get into the Stoneforge nitty gritty, man, I remember it was like when Stoneforge was just everywhere and it's, it's not always the most fun. I'll be honest with you. I, I think it can get very clunky sometimes, but I don't know how that's going to play in modern. We'll have to see. Yeah. Anything else or you want to sign us out? I think that's probably going to do it for our first live show. I appreciate everyone showing up, watching, enjoying. It seems like people really had a good time with this. I had a good time with it. It was fun to do it this way. I'm glad people got to know our takes right away. Uh, if you did like it, be sure to let us know. You can tweet us at the Arena Decklist account. Say, do more of this immediately. Uh, there's even a small chance we might listen. It's possible. That's game. Good luck.